0: Coronavirus New Zealand, a daily Stuff podcast.
1: Hey Eugene, you remember that lame gag I made yesterday about how we'll adjust to the pay cuts that I hilariously suggested were coming our way?
0: Oh yeah, good one, good one.
1: Yeah, it's tempting fate. Either that or Stuff's accountants are listening to this podcast because this morning Stuff invited its staff to take a 15% pay cut for the next 12 weeks. You might want to check your emails. Oh. Anyway, welcome to Coronavirus NZ for Thursday the 16th of April day we found out what the new level three is going to mean. I'm Adam Dudding.
0: And I'm Eugene Bingham. Each day we bring you the main headlines, a few of the strange things about lockdown life and a closer look at one particular topic. Adam, I know you'll be looking to cut costs to offset that pay cut, but I did just want to warn you that if you want to stock up on home hair colouring kits, you better get in fast. Sales have quadrupled. Hair dye, it seems, is the new toilet paper.
1: If you aren't totally skint, though, here's something you'll want for your COVID-19 memorabilia collection, which I know you're amassing. There's a new line of T-shirts and tote bags that have been produced by The Print Room in Dunedin, featuring the one and only Ashley Bloomfield. Their goal, apparently, is to immortalise New Zealand's hero of quarantine. All profits go to women's refuge. Later on, we speak with Dr. Helen Petrusis Harris to answer a question we've had since coronavirus emerged and started being compared to influenza. Why don't we take the flu more seriously? And what are the important differences between the flu and coronavirus? But first, what's happened today?
0: There are 15 new cases today, bringing the total to 1,401. Ashley Bloomfield says there are four cases since lockdown where they reckon it's community transmission. And that number will be key to the decision-making about when to leave Level 4.
1: The G20, the world's richest nations, are suspending debt repayments from the world's poorest countries until the end of the year to help them cope with the
0: increased health costs of the crisis. And Foreign Minister Winston Peters has criticised the World Health Organisation for not declaring the pandemic earlier.
1: We knew early on, with the information coming out of Wuhan, that older people were especially vulnerable to COVID-19, and that's remained consistent as the disease has moved around the planet. By mid-February, death rates for people over 80 who caught COVID-19 were well above 10% in South Korea, in Spain, and China, and especially in Italy, where the over 80 death rate was over 20% at that point. So to New Zealand, where we could see it coming. There's been advice, of course, for older people to stay home even before full lockdown hit. And over our entire population, our infection and fertility rates have been mercifully low by global standards. But over the past week, we've seen the steady drumbeat of deaths of people in clusters connected to aged care facilities. These are the places that obviously needed to be fortresses against the disease, but that hasn't quite happened. And those families who've lost people will want to know why.
0: Yeah, so a reporter who's been looking at this is, is Hannah Martin, who's a stuff health reporter, and she's with us now. Hannah, how do you think this happened?
2: I, yesterday, I was speaking with the chief executive for the Aged Care Association, Simon Wallace, uh, and he said that aged care was pretty much getting ready for COVID as early as early March, so well in advance of the lockdown. Uh, and he said that they were pretty quick off the mark. Um, aged care facilities have pandemic plans already, uh, you know, and they deal with outbreaks of things like the flu, uh, norovirus quite often. Um, But that's not to say that it has been smooth sailing at all. Simon said yesterday that they really had to agitate, even just a week or two ago, to get PPE in all facilities, for example. Um, He's also called on the ministry for mandatory testing of all new admissions to rest homes, but said that that's so far fallen on deaf ears. Uh, We're we're hearing rest homes are really trying to fight this. Um, Many adopted pretty strict visitor protocols before we went into lockdown, uh, some aged care facilities I've spoken to in the last couple of days are, you know, temperature testing their staff before a shift. Um some have wardens stationed at the gates um, and aren't, you know, some aren't accepting new admissions without without these people being tested for COVID, whether they have symptoms or not. You know, even with PPE and other precautions, you know, these things aren't fail-safe and our older population really are um you know, really are copying that at the moment.
0: What are the families of people in these facilities saying they must be just, you know, worried sick? I can't imagine what it'd be like.
2: Mm, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So Stuff has spoken to uh, a number of family members linked to these uh, clusters or rest homes where we do have coronavirus. Uh, so uh, an example, uh, the daughter of a man at Ellerslie Gardens um, was really worried that the virus potentially went undetected for weeks uh, when he was infectious and potentially putting other people at risk. Uh, so she told us that her dad was in contact with uh, other quite frail residents um while potentially sick with the virus uh so from things like eating uh eating with the uh, eating meals in the communal dining area um playing bingo with other people uh so this has really raised concerns for her that the home potentially wasn't being stringent enough in their protocols um after getting cases of of the virus We've also spoken with the son of another resident at Ellerslie Gardens who raised concerns about a lack of testing um, among those in the home after cases were confirmed, essentially saying it was ridiculous, really. Um, We know family members of residents at Rosewood have felt like they've been left in the dark too about the condition of their loved ones. Uh, So one man spoken to by stuff said he had no idea if his dad had symptoms or not, let alone whether he had the virus. So we're hearing that family members, people are very concerned and and are feeling uh, essentially sort of left out of the conversation.
0: We should note that in relation to those concerns by relatives of Alice Lee Gardens uh, residents, Heritage Life Care has said that uh, the rest home followed all public health care plans after the first positive test, including isolating residents who'd come into contact. Uh, They said that since the resident tested positive All residents had been self-isolating. Before that, residents had eaten meals together and taken part in some group activities, but that social distancing was observed. They also say that hygiene and health and safety were taken absolutely seriously across the company and that residents were their first, last and only concern. Thank you very much for joining us, Hannah Martin.
2: Cool. Thank you, guys.
1: Level three, level three, level three. No word yet on when we go to level three. We won't learn about that until Monday, apparently. But still, Level 3 is on the horizon. Uh, and the covid19.govt.nz site has laid out a bit of an idea of what Level 3 is going to look like, because it's not quite the same as the old Level 3. And because we know you're all terribly busy being locked down, uh, we're going to read the stuff on that website right now and, and figure out answers to all the important questions. Obviously, the big question is this, Eugene. Do we have to keep making this sodding podcast from our bedrooms? Or are we allowed to, you know, go into an
0: office and stuff like that? To be fair, the Prime Minister wasn't explicit about this. She didn't single us out for any advice. But from my reading, no, sorry. We're still going to be stuck in our bedrooms because if you can work from home, you still should. Unfortunately, we've proven we can. So Uh, sorry, mate.
1: Right now, my daughter, who is um, technically working hard, in her year 11 studies, is in the kitchen cooking some sausage rolls. And I believe I will be receiving those fairly soon. And that compares pretty favorably with the work environment. So maybe it's all right to be in bedrooms.
0: Yeah, I don't remember anyone ever making sausage rolls for you at the stuff kitchen. No. Well, actually, do you remember
1: the old days when if there was like a lunch for the important people and there was leftover food and it used to be just put in a place and people just yes. just ate it? Do you remember that? When you yeah. didn't think, oh, if I touch this, I might die or kill someone in my family. You wouldn't go near it these <laughs> days, would you? Communal leftovers are going to be one of the enduring victims of the COVID-19 pandemic, I feel. True. So let's start working our way through this website. Personal okay. movement. What what, are we can, what do we know about
0: that? So the definition of bubble is going to change a little bit. You're going to have to stay in your bubble, but you can expand your bubble. It's almost like two bubbles coming together.
1: So like when you're blowing soap bubbles and two of them meet, and then they sort of join together and they go all squishy on one side. Yeah, it's is cute. Is that the metaphor? Yeah, and yeah, yeah it's And then usually, cute. usually they then pop and you end up with sort of oh. soapy water on you. I don't know if it works so well. Uh, What else is there? Oh, yeah, travel around the country. Mm -hmm. I thought this is kind of interesting. So if you got stuck in the wrong bit of the country and you've been during lockdown, you can now, you know, get back to where you once belonged, as um, Paul McCartney would put it. But um, you can, I like this, you can only move once and in one direction. We're like chess pieces, you know, or like bishops or rooks, you know, you move once one direction.
0: Yeah, well, it's problematic for me because, like, what if, for instance, you were in Toongi, yeah. and you needed to get to Napier, and naturally yeah. you just go up to Topo and then across on the Napier Topo Highway, but that's like you need to change direction to do that. So is that, is that what they mean, or, or do you have to go diag- do you have to go right through the forest to get there? You got to go diagonally. You could go diagonally through the forest because that's your thing—is
1: running pointlessly through forests. I
0: am pining for a good trail run. I did hear specifically yes. that no jet skis. Fair enough. So I
1: hate jet skis, so that's absolutely fantastic news. Well
0: I just wanted to check with you because you do live in the Eastville. So you know I thought you might have a jet ski. The other thing is that our strategy of not owning a batch lest we lest we're in breach of of level four lockdown.
1: Are we winning again?
0: Yeah. Level three, you can't stay overnight at a batch or holiday home. So you can go for a day trip. Okay. Next, education. This one's pretty close to my
1: heart. I mean, obviously, if my daughter returns to school, that means I get no more of those um, sausage rolls delivered in, in the middle of the day sure. during the afternoon cook up. Um, so, what have we got? What do we got? Oh, this is good. Um, so, preschool and classes for kids up to year 10 will be back on, but they'll be voluntary. But years 11 to 13, you stay home. I guess the principle there is that year 11 to 13s are such biddable and uh, marvellous kids that they can coexist with a working parent whereas year 10s are little brats and need to be warehoused with teachers
0: but let's face it that whole voluntary thing so you've I mean we don't have kids that age anymore but from memory four weeks locked in the house with them they're going to be going back to school aren't they
1: there is a note saying it is not necessary to wear PPE to school. So now you Mm -hmm. know. So apart from the important business of producing bedroom podcasts, the really important business issue is can I get a coffee? What does it say?
0: Well, you have to, uh, retail and hospitality businesses can only open for delivery and contactless pre-ordered pickup. So that means you can't go to a restaurant or cafe or bar, but someone's going to arrange like some system where you can, Probably this is what's going to happen. Someone will arrange a system where you text for a coffee and then they put it outside. And I guess Mm. you just go pick it up. Hope the cat doesn't get it. So businesses, basically, if you can work from home, you have to. If you've got a job in construction, like I know you're considering, Adam, you can go back to that. But you've got to kind of keep your distance. So my tradie mates, back to work, but they can't interact with their customers and stuff. I do have some other bad news for you, Adam. Really? That haircut, you know, that uh, wild man of Borneo look that you're going for? Yeah. It's gonna carry on for a little bit longer, sorry.
1: No barbers, no massages, no house cleaning, no door to door salespeople, no manicurists, beauticians, or personal trainers. However will I cope? Takeaways. But can we get takeaways?
0: Yes, we can get takeaways. Gatherings. Yeah, this is I mean it's slightly getting slightly serious on it, but so that's been a big concern for people, funerals and weddings. So up to ten people at a funeral or a wedding, and no receptions. So basically nice. at a wedding you're going to have the celebrant, a couple of witnesses, and that's about it, isn't
1: it? Oh, and the people who are getting married, I guess.
0: Oh, yeah, they're kind of crucial. Hey, you know the other day we were talking about uh, books Yes. with Katrina. Yes. Uh, I neglected to ask you what, are you, what are you reading at
1: the moment, Adam? Funny you should ask. I'm reading a very uplifting novel by Albert Camus, the French existentialist. It's called The Plague, and it's about the bubonic plague coming to a, um, a city in French Algeria in the 1940s, and it's miserable. Not only is it miserable, it's quite hard to read, actually, because it's kind of but old-fashioned.
0: We're in the middle of a pandemic You could have chosen anything to read. You could have chosen a Jilly Cooper novel. But no, you choose The Plague.
1: It's kind of weird, you sort of try and get off the topic, but I don't know, Like, oh, so I've just finally got to the end of the, the last season of Ozark, so I guess it was, I started reading The Plague with the same sort of approach, that a little bit more horror on the horror would somehow, I don't know, cancel it out, but not really. It is really interesting, it, it, it's, it's mostly following this doctor as he goes around trying to cure people, um, but there's stuff that happens in the early stage of The Plague, which it's just a reminder that although this has come as a big shock, and we found this, this whole Whole pandemic, sort of so strange and unsettling. The world's been here so many times before, and. And right down to the fine details. So there's this bit early on when he's talking. So so the plague's arriving and everyone doesn't believe it for a little while. And there's a meeting between various doctors and the town prefect, who's effectively the the, the boss of the place. And the doctors are saying, yeah, we're pretty sure it's plague. It's slightly different in various ways, but it's a bubonic plague. People get in these these lumps and then they explode and then they die. And it's horrible. It's the bacterial disease that the black death and so on. Uh, and the prefect's saying, oh, yeah, you, you don't sound like you're really sure that it is actually the plague. And, you know, it's a real nuisance shutting everything down and we don't want to damage the economy and so we'll do absolutely nothing so they do absolutely nothing for a very long time and then they react slowly they react inadequately and i don't know there's some certain parallels to the way some countries seem to be handling it i'm pretty sure it's going to end with just about everyone dead to be frank next book i choose something a bit more uplifting for sure
0: hey you know how our worlds have kind of shrunk lately But because of the podcast, we've kind of been looking out to the world. So you somehow feel a bit connected to the world. And so you look for those connections. Well, here was one. In January, my son, my younger son ordered a a shirt from China and it never arrived, didn't turn up. And we sort of said, well, you know, they're going through a bit at the moment. I don't think it's going to arrive. You know, you're just going to have to write that one off. Well, it finally turned up and I was a bit curious. So I looked up the packaging did a bit of reporting even. Oh And yeah, and it came from the city of Putian, which I'm probably mispronouncing, in the Fujian province, which is in the southeast. So is that anywhere near Wuhan? Uh, it's about a thousand kilometres away. Okay. So that's further than Auckland to Wellington. And, and the province where Putian is didn't, I mean, it didn't suffer badly according to the stats that I could find 350 cases, one reported death. But it turns out that... This city is famous for factories that make clothing, and the factories had been repurposed to make masks. Ah, interesting. And so that's why the order didn't come for so long, was because the factories were busy making masks. So maybe that's why it took three months to arrive. Huh. So, plague playlist. What do you got, Adam?
1: So this one's another holdover from the weekend. Stephen Colbert's late show after news that the Grand Princess cruise ship and its 3,000 passengers and 650 crew were being blocked from coming ashore in California while they did tests for COVID on some passengers. You know, cruise ships really have hosted some of the most miserable Mm. clusters of this pandemic, haven't they? But that doesn't mean you can't produce a good parody song on the subject, and that's what they did.
0: (laughs) Corona.
2: Exciting and Etc.
0: Dark, dark, catchy. I did see you dancing in our video chat there, Adam. And it certainly sticks in your mind, doesn't it? I'm sure that you're just desperately trying to drive Thank You, Big Potato, out of my head. How does that song go again? Thank You, Big Potato.
3: Oh, hang on, hang on. Can you hear me? Hey, hello?
1: Oh, Oh, I couldn't, can now. Hello. All right, start again. We talked to Dr. Helen Petousas-Harris not long ago. She's an expert in vaccines and viruses and an associate professor at the University of Auckland. Ever since that interview, though, I've wanted to get her back on because I have another question about a virus and I think she might have the answer. Hi, Helen. Have we got you there after all our technical difficulties earlier?
3: I believe you've got me here.
1: Fantastic. So the question is this. It's a bit of a long one. Sorry. So ever since the start of COVID-19, the subject of influenza, the flu, keeps getting brought up by way of comparison. Initially, it was in terms of, oh, don't worry, it's not as bad as the flu. Don't hear that one so often. And then it was, well, sure, COVID-19 is killing people, but so does the flu. And we don't freak out about that. So let's not overreact. And it's, it's that line that always brings me up short, the bit about the flu killing people, and we don't freak out about it. So take the US in the 2018-19 flu season, according to Eugene's quick Googling a minute ago, 35 million people got sick, 490,000 went to hospital, 34,000 died. So forget COVID for a moment. I want to understand why the flu is so bad. And so, so that's my question for you, Helen. How come so many people die of the flu? And why do we accept that?
3: I think it's a really good question because we uh, we I guess we've got no choice but to to accept it. It happens every year, and I think it's also we we more ready to accept the familiar, uh, and it's sort of something that happens relatively quietly. It's not something that we we see running headlines about every day. You know, th- this happens in New Zealand. We we lose about four or five hundred people a year due to influenza. So this is not a benign disease uh, at all.
1: So just some background, it's the super simple questions that we ask. What is influenza and how does it work?
3: Well, influenza is caused by... Several influenza viruses, and they uh, circulate every every year. And they what they they do what you what, what's called drift. So they change a little bit, very slowly as as they go along throughout the year. And that's where we have our seasonal outbreaks. And it affects um, about twenty about a quarter of our population each year will actually get infected. Right. Um, so so the rest of the popul- population remain largely uninfected and then every so often we get what's called a shift and that's a dramatic change in an an influenza virus either um, and and that's probably when it jumps from an animal into humans like we saw in 2009 with the last swine flu. You get it and most people aren't immune and you get a lot more people getting sick for example and sometimes it can be more pathogenic, you know, more lethal than the um, seasonal flu.
0: So it kind of depends on the strain in that particular year as to how dangerous it is.
3: It fluctuates. It, it can be a little bit different from year to year. But by and large, you see about four or 500 deaths.
0: I was just looking for the figures around the flu. And, and they're quite hard to find. I mean, compared to COVID-19, at least, there's not a, a separate website. Yet it's a significant public health issue. Should we be more aware of what sort of impact it has on the community?
3: Yeah, I mean I think I mean I think we are um and certainly the um the last few years we've got some really good data from New Zealand from uh, a study called the Shivers study sort of like the best acronym ever for a, a study about flu um which was the Southern Hemisphere Influenza Vaccine Effectiveness and Research Study. And it showed, for example, the proportion of New Zealanders that actually get influenza each year and also how effective the the vaccine is each year as well. So we've got some really good data from there. And uh, out of, um, you know, sort of the quarter of the population or so that that get the flu, only about then... Twenty uh, percent, or say one in five of those people, actually get symptoms. So you've got a lot of, quite a lot of virus around, but uh, most of the people not actually getting very sick from it.
0: So, in some ways, the way that you're talking, there are lots of characteristics of the flu that are similar to COVID nineteen. But can you just step us through the ways that they're they're similar or different to each other? Perhaps starting with how they make us sick.
3: Both of them are respiratory infections, so and their symptoms are very very similar. I mean, you know, the, the, the fever, and uh, there's some, some sort of differences where, where it seems that uh, fever and cough are the main symptoms of COVID, whereas influenza, you you might have, say, aches, body aches and pains might be more common, for example. But by and large, they're very similar in that respect. There's some differences in the way, um, a little bit of difference in the way they spread. Flu spreads a bit, bit faster and a bit more quietly, it's more likely to be spread by people that don't have any symptoms or that it gets spread before the symptoms kick in. So that's the main driver for flu, whereas that's less so for COVID. With with flu, it's children that are the main spreaders. There's like super spreaders of flu and they spread it to adults. They're the main spreaders, whereas that's vice versa for COVID by the looks of it. And then the, the proportion of cases that are severe and critical, so those really nasty cases, is higher for COVID than for influenza bionic. And I'm talking about seasonal flu, right, not those pandemic flus, which kind of can can change things a bit. You've got different people affected, uh, different members of the population where COVID, clearly it's very weighted to older and, and frail people, whereas in influenza, we've seen it also can affect the younger people as well. And then, when you have a pandemic, it all gets can all get quite weird. <laughs> and in, for example, in the Spanish flu pandemic, it was the young, strong, healthy men that were hit um, really hard in terms of of death. So it can really change. At the moment, with the flu, you, you do have a lot of people immune in your in your population to the flu um, each year, unless you get a real sh- a, a, a big shift. Whereas at the moment, you've got nobody immune to COVID. So all of us are susceptible, whereas in a flu season, there's a lot of us that, that aren't as susceptible. The other thing is, of course, uh, for flu, we have a vaccine. We have a lot of vaccines. For, for COVID, we, we don't. We also have some therapeutics for flu as well that can be helpful. So we're really far more vulnerable to this than we are to flu.
1: And yet the flu is still killing us. So are there more extreme measures along the lines of what we're doing with COVID that might work for flu? I mean, you know... Would it make sense to save those five hundred lives each year in New Zealand to have a lockdown approach to flu? Oh,
3: I think that would probably cut us off for a whole lot of other reasons if we if we tried that. But we could, you know, we could do better. Like like, there's been so many studies showing just how effective the whole hand washing thing um, is for influenza and for preventing transmission of influenza. Yet, how many people actually pr- practice that until you know the last few months when suddenly? <laughs> <laughs> hygiene became quite high on people's list of priorities. So, that, I mean, that's something we don't do a lot of and we don't vaccinate as well as we could either. So, you know, there are some more things that we could be could be doing and re- having a little bit more respect for flu.
1: Is there an upside lurking here and that the things we're doing to stop COVID right now mean that flu might be really down this year, um, not just the lockdown, but all the hand washing and so on?
3: Oh, absolutely. Um, I think we're going to have, I I would predict if I was to put my, um, you know, look into my crystal ball that we'll have a mild flu season this year (laughs) as a result of this year.
0: You just, I mean, you just said something interesting that we need to respect flu more. What do you mean by that?
3: Each year, we take um, a colossal hit from flu, and I think people don't really realise it because it because it just you know it's something that 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 happens every year. Oh, you know it's flu season, but if you just think about a few numbers, every year like take a given year, you've got over 30,000 people going to see their GP because they're so so miserable and sick they feel they need to go and see the doctor. So that's over 30,000 people each year in New Zealand. And, and there's um, over 2,000 people hospitalised um, with flu. So that's, you know, each year we take that hit and that's not counting the people that are off work or looking after kids off school and so on and so on. So that's, you know, a significant impact. And also the health system gear up every year where they take on more staff, put more staff in the hospitals to cope with that with that season. So and there's also the hidden things, the things you don't see, um, and that is people... Once I have flu for a little time after can be more susceptible to other infections. So you might see that they're hospitalised with, say, pneumonia, a bacterial pneumonia, um, say a pneumococcal disease or something like that, when in fact they had a preceding influenza infection, which made them more susceptible to getting something else. So it all gets very complicated.
1: Hey, I just have one question, which is almost the mirror image of where we started. So just to be clear, how would you respond to that claim that was around so much early on, that COVID really isn't any worse than a bad flu? That's simply been flatly disproved, hasn't it?
3: Yeah, I think so. And I think early on, well, people people were saying, okay, so every year we have, you know, however many people die from flu, but we've only had this many people die from COVID. Of course, that was never going to, (laughs) that was always going to change because COVID was just kicking off. Um, If you sort of stood back and looked at what might happen over a year, potentially, it's very clear. And it's very clear, too, that the mortality rate is much higher from COVID than it is for flu no matter where you look.
1: Sure. Helen Ptoosis-Harris, thank you very much. I, once again, am ending the conversation with you, feeling I know a little bit more than I did before we started. Thank you.
3: Oh, good. You're welcome.
1: That's the Coronavirus NZ podcast for Thursday the 16th of April. I'm Adam Dudding. He's Eugene Bingham. I thought he was going to say it. That was kind of weird. Thank you to Hannah Martin, Helen Petusis harris Alex Liu, Catherine George, Patrick Crutzen, and Carol Hirschfeld.
0: Yeah, that's me. Hey, thanks for tuning in. If you want to get in touch, email viruspod at stuff.co.nz. If you want to listen to all the episodes we produced, you can find them on the usual podcast platforms, plus the Stuff website, stuff.co.nz. What
3: well done.